Well, someone need to testify after that good song. Amen. Praise the Lord. If your heart's clear, turn with me, if you would, to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. A very familiar Bible story. See, Sister Vaughn's smiling. I'm wondering if that's what they had in Sunday school class this morning. That's amazing how God works. Brother Vaughn's already preached half my message for me. And Sunday school's already had the story. I, I could roll up the carpet and go home. <laughs> Daniel chapter 3. You know the story well if you've been in church for any length of time. This is one of the stories that we tell to children. This is a story we often have in Sunday school classes, and probably you've heard a lot of preaching on it. And I don't suppose you'll learn anything to this morning, but I hope it calls to remembrance some things that, that, are, that you may need down the road, if not today. I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word, Daniel chapter 3. And we're going to pick up our reading in verse 13. I'm not going to read the whole story. Not just because it's rather lengthy, but because also because you know it well. Daniel chapter 3, we'll begin reading in verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage and fury, commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they brought them in before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Now if ye be ready, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, and the flute, and the harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made well. But if ye worship not, ye shall be cast the same hour in the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Oh. <laughs> I just love to read those words. Yeah. You're going to find out, aren't you, buddy? <laughs> Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said unto the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, I love this. We are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known to thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Ooh, strong words for people who are about ready to die. Father, 
I want to thank you for your presence this morning. We needed, we needed you here. And you've met us, and we thank you for that. But Lord, we're at the time of the service where I most need your help, most need your anointing and your touch. And so I throw myself at your feet, requesting that one more time that you touch these lips of clay. And Lord, that a familiar story would not cause us to become bored or disinterested, but Lord, that a fam this familiar story would challenge us and encourage us. Father, that our faith might grow. We ask these things in your precious name. Amen. You may be seated. Will your faith hold when you face the fire? I think that's a, a question that is kind of impossible to truly answer because we only have grace for what we are facing. I don't have dying grace right now. At least, I don't think so. I don't think I'm dying in the next five minutes or so. At least, I don't know that I am. Obviously, we don't know. I don't have grace to, for being sent off into some work camp somewhere for 20 years and not see my family. I don't have grace for that right this moment. But if I were facing that, I believe God would provide the grace. So I think it's a little bit hard for us to answer a question, will my faith stand when facing the fire? Because there's a bit of uncertainty there. And I don't think it's a doubt that causes us to have that uncertainty. I wouldn't say that, that it's doubt that causes us to, to say, I, I'm not sure if my faith would stand in that. I hope it would. I think it's just the realization that I don't have grace for that trial right now. But I think it's an important question to ask ourselves anyways. I think it's an important question to ponder, not because we can, can leave here with a firm answer but because I believe that by studying those that have faced the fire, who have faced these particular trials, that we can learn from it the things that we're going to have to be cultivating now if we will stand then. I don't believe that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego I don't believe that the decision to not bow was made that day. I believe it was made when they were still back in Jerusalem. There were some things that they began cultivating in their lives. So when the trial came, that when the pressure was on, that they were ready to face the fire. As I looked at, the, at this story and I thought about the fact that when a man is imprisoned, when a man is, is in bondage, there's one thing that he prays for, and it's freedom. If you were in their shoes, that I'm sure that part of your daily prayer would be, Lord, I just want to go home. 
Lord, I want to be free. I, I, I have to serve this wicked king and this wicked culture, and I just want to go home. Have you ever heard some Christians talk like that? Now, I understand there's a difference, I think, when, when a saint gets to a certain age, and I think that God does start, start that process, and I understand that sometimes you've got more people over there than you got back home. And I understand that that can happen. But I think, I think that there's a, a real danger that comes when we get feeling that way because we stop benefiting those around us. We stop, we stop being concerned about our neighbors and, and about those that we have influence over. We become more focused on what we want, that desire to go home. But for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel, that wasn't the way it was for them. Though they had a great longing to return to Jerusalem, they served their king in that wicked culture faithfully. And I think that's a good lesson for us this morning. That even in the midst of a culture that, that is post-Christian, and in the midst of of a leadership that can be disappointing, that we can hold on to the reality that we have been placed here for this time, this place, this culture. So how are we going to stand when all's against us, when we face the fire? One of the things that I noticed about these young men is, is that they were men who would not compromise. They were men of conviction. They were men of conviction. The king, of course, had set up his golden uh, idol. He, he, it's this great image, and you know they've got this all ceremony planned and and of course, these men are, are, are wise men and, the, and, and had been serving the king. And of course, they're living in the capital. And that's where the biggest celebration of this idol was going to take place. And the music goes and, uh, and it's being played. And, and uh, all their buddies, all the people that they, were, that they associate with, all... Uh, all their Jewish friends that, that, that were with them, they're all bowing. And here's these three guys having to make a decision. They're standing and they're thinking. And I wonder this, this morning what was going through their minds. I'm tempted to blame the devil, but I don't think the devil would even need to go show up in this situation like this. I think the old devil could just take a holiday. Because you know what would happen? One of, the, one of the key instincts in every living creature is the desire for self-preservation. It's an unusual, unusual thing for an animal of any kind, human or, or, or other kind of animal, to go into a situation in which it knows it's going to not live. 
Suicide is unknown in the animal kingdom. I, I've, I've been told, that I, I've, I've searched it, I've Googled it, can't find it. I've been told that there's a certain kind of snake that commits suicide. But other than that, only humans commit suicide. But I cannot even find that. I had a professor who said that, that that was the case, but I can't, I haven't been able to confirm that. As far as I know, there are no animals that commit suicide, except for people. Of course, people are higher than animals. I'm not trying to talk like evolutionists this morning. I'm just trying to help us to understand that self-preservation is something that God has placed in the hearts of all creatures. And don't we mark as heroes those individuals and even those animals that risk their lives for someone else because it goes against the natural instinct that's placed within each one of us to protect ourselves it takes extraordinary love to lay down our life for someone else and here these men are facing death. They're facing, they're facing these, this terrible situation. And I'm wondering what's going through their minds. You know, I, I, I suppose the thought would come in, uh, uh, into the mind, you know, I can bow on the outside but not the inside. You know, it's not in my heart. I'm just, I, I'm just going with the flow. Nobody, ha nobody has to take any notice that, that, I, that I'm standing on the inside. You know that's what counts, right? Is the motivations of your heart. You know you can, you can go to church and you can sing and you can raise your hand, but if you don't mean it, it doesn't mean anything. So if I just bow down to this idol and I don't mean it, it doesn't mean anything, right? Preacher, you're getting awful close. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Because probably every one of us has had a thought very similar to that when the pressure's been on. Doesn't mean anything. I'm just going with the flow. I'm not really worshiping it. I'm, I'm just, in my heart, I don't like it. Or you know, the, here's a classic. The Lord will understand. You know, uh, the Lord knows we have to live. You know, I, I, can't, I can't take that stand at, at work. I have to live. I've got to make a living for my family. I can't take that stand. God understands. Boss wants me to do something shady, underhanded, illegal. God understands. I'm, I'm just, it's not really me. It's the boss that's doing it. I'm just, I'm just following orders. I don't think we need Satan to come up with ideas how to save our own skin. Because we're pretty good at it. Or, you know, I don't want to offend anybody. You know, bow my head at, the, at, uh, at work at, the, uh, at lunchtime. I, I don't want to offend anybody. This is really an act of love that I don't, you know, openly pray. I, I'm not offending them. I'm being tolerant to their unbelief. I mean, 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they don't want to offend the king. I mean, he made this idol. He put a lot of effort and expense into this thing. We wouldn't want to offend him. How would we ever win him to the Lord if we offend him? You know, this story gets really different when we put our... really changes how we read it. When suddenly it's us. If I'm dead, I can't provide for my family. If, I'm, if I upset the king, I'll never win them to the Lord. If I take a stand on this issue, I'll never be able to win them to the Lord because all they know is what I'm against, not what I'm for. They think I'm against this idol. They, I, I mean, they... Folks, we, we can go down the compromise road and find ourselves being able to justify every single sin in the book. Compromise will allow you to justify the worst sins. How many people have said that the, at a murder trial that they were doing God's work? The guy who blew up the abortion clinic in the name of God. Is that really? Really? Or the man who stole a car saying that he felt justified in doing so because the Bible says that the Lord will come as a thief in the night. And so he was just following the example of our Lord. You know, compromise is humorous when it's somebody else doing the compromising. But when it's us doing the compromising, it's good gospel preaching. You remember the, the man who comes to Jesus, and, and it, I love how, how the scripture puts it, willing to justify himself. He said, Lord, who is my neighbor? What he's saying is, is I want to compromise. I want to know who I have to be loving to and who I can treat like trash. That's really what, I, what he wants to know. He wants to know who he can treat poorly and who he has to love. Is, is it a certain number of people? Is it a certain radius of, around my house? You know, what, what's, the, what's the minimum I have to do to get to heaven? Folks, if you're asking what the minimum is, you're asking the wrong question. Paul said the righteous scarcely be saved. You know what that tells me? That tells me that the most holy among us are going to get into heaven by the skin of our teeth. These people who live fast and loose and live a life of compromise and they say they're gonna get, they want to get to heaven by the skin of their teeth and they don't care if they just have a little uh, hut in the corner of heaven somewhere. Folks, the righteous scarcely be saved. Every single one of us that makes it, we're going to get in by the skin of our teeth. That's not the way we like to think about it, is it? 
We like to think we're going to just, you know, we're going to just be more than conquerors. And God says that we can be more than conquerors. But even so, the only thing keeping us from falling into the pit of hell is the blood of Jesus Christ. Not our works, not all the things that we've done, not our righteousness. There's nothing we can do to make it where we just scarcely don't make it. Or that we scarcely do make it. And we start playing around with compromise, and guess what will happen when the fire is on and the furnace is turned up? We'll find a way to compromise our way out of it. And there's not one sin, there's not one sin that we won't do when we go down that path. 30 years ago, I'd love to go in a timing machine and ask these denominations if they would ever, ever support homosexual marriage and gay pastors. I don't think you'd find a church. I don't think you'd find the most liberal church that said, oh, well, we'll compromise on that. I don't know, scarcely 20 years ago, you could find a denomination that said we'd compromise on that. And now we've got churches that are from the family of John Wesley's churches that are considering making such a change. There's not a sin you won't compromise on if you walk down this path. There's nothing you can stand for. Because as soon as you walk down the the path of compromise, you have now given yourself the tools to justify any sin, even bowing down to golden idols. Doesn't surprise me. Doesn't surprise me. That our churches are full of people who you can't tell them different from the world. When the, when the research, when Barna does their research and they say the divorce rates in the church is the same as in the world, doesn't surprise me. When they tell me that, that uh, in the church and in the world, the use of pornography, the percentages are basically the same, not surprising. When, when a domestic abuse is basically the same in the church and in the world, it's not surprising because we can justify any sin when we walk down the road of compromise. And it's really hard to stand when the music plays. It's really hard to stand when the music plays. It's really hard to say, I love you, but I can't go to your wedding. I'm so tired. I'm so tired of sins that we've taken stands for. We compromise when it's our kids. And you say, preacher, your kids aren't old enough. You don't know. I don't know. You're right. I haven't had to make some of those decisions for my kids. I've had to make some decisions for people I love, but I haven't had to make it for my kids. But folks, when we're bowing down to the idol because the music's playing, why should we expect our kids to stand? When we're doing the bowing too, how can we expect our kids to be standing up? Because our kids are bowing doesn't mean we should get bow down with them. 
And I know, I know our kids make choices that, that just grieve our hearts, and we don't want to break up the family, and we don't want to ha- have that hurt in the family, and we don't we want to show our love and our support. I understand all the justifications. But that's what it is. It's what it is. It's a justification. And it's a compromise. And I know it's hard to stand when the music plays. You better become a, a man or a woman of conviction now because when the music plays, if you're not a person of conviction now, you won't be then. You won't be then. When you're facing the fire, that's when it'll really count. But if you are willing to justify yourself when you're not facing the fire, when you are, it's going to crumble. These men were men of conviction. They have been. They proved it in Daniel chapter 1 when they refused to eat the king's meat. These have been men of conviction throughout their entire time in captivity. These have been men who have stood for what is right consistently. And if we're going to stand when the fire is turned up, we better be people of conviction when the fire is low or even off. Not only were they men of conviction, but they were men of confidence. They said, our God is able to deliver us. Uh, uh, and he, in fact, he's, he, they said, he will deliver us from your hand. Now, how could they be confident in that? Well, this is how they could be confident and, and that God would deliver them because he either is going to uh, save them through the fire or he's going to, in death, deliver them from the hand of the king. Either way, they're still delivered from the king. They are confident in God's ability to preserve them if that's what he wants to do. And folks, we, this, is, this is wonderful. This, this is an act of faith. They know that God is able to keep them. Folks, they shouldn't be able to believe that. You say, why is that? Because in it, their, their culture, that time frame, the conquering king's God was considered to have won because that God was stronger than the God of the, uh, of the, of the country that was conquered. So Nebuchadnezzar's God... And the understanding of the ancient world was that Nebuchadnezzar's God was greater than Jehovah. In fact, if you read through the writings of Jeremiah, he laments that, that God has allowed his name to be a, 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 a byword in the uh, uh, countries around because by allowing Israel to be destroyed, to be conquered by another God it is lifting up the, the false God is po- more powerful than the tr- one true God. They shouldn't be believing that God is able to deliver them because he didn't deliver them in, uh, from being captured. He didn't deliver them from an invading army. They shouldn't be believing that God was able to. And yet they hold on to their confidence in God. 
Folks, I'll, I'll tell you what, there's, there's going to be times that God's not going to act the way that you want him to act. There are going to be miracles that he could do that he doesn't do. There's going to be times that God is going to disappoint us. And if we focus on that, we'll lose our confidence that he can help us in whatever situations we're facing. Our faith will become shipwrecked when we expect God to act in a certain way. Jeremiah couldn't understand it. God, you've used a more wicked nation to punish us. You've allowed your name to become a byword among the people because their God has been set up as stronger than you. It's amazing that anyone could hold on to their faith under that kind of pressure. And when you consider that these young men have been taken away as, as probably teenagers, probably 15, 16 years old, they've, they've been forced into another culture. They can't go to temple or, or they can't go to, to, to their worship services. They've, they've lost contact with their parents. Their, mom and dad aren't watching and making sure that they're behaving. No one, no one uh, from back home is taking a stand. They're all bowing. Their hopes and their dreams have been crushed. They've all been made eunuchs. They'll never marry. They'll never have a family. They'll never have, have the things that, that every young man was, was dreaming of. They'll never ever become part of the messianic line. They, that's been stolen from them. They have every reason to not believe God will deliver them. Or that it could. And yet they do. Yet they do. Where do we stand when our dreams are crushed? Or when things don't turn out the way we wanted them to or hoped they would? Is our confidence still in God? Or can we only sing when God's behaving the way we want Him to? Chronicles of Narnia, C.S. Lewis so, puts it so well as he, Aslan represents Christ, a great lion. And they say he's not a tame lion. You can't put a muzzle on our God. And you can't crack a whip and have him step on a stool or open his mouth for you to stick your head in. He's not a tame lion this morning. And he does not obey us. He's wild. And he does according to his own will. And yet we can have confidence in him because we know that his love for us is such that we know that he knows what's best. And it kind of goes right on to, to the next thought. Not only were they confident in God's ability to, to deliver them, but they were content with whichever way God chose. I, I, the, the, those words that, that they say, that just really, it, it actually is what struck me uh, about this passage this week was, but if not, I, I just couldn't get those 
Three words out of my mind all week long as, as I was preparing for this message. But if not... God's able, we know He's can, we know that God's gonna, uh, uh, has all power to, to put out those flames, He's all got all power to preserve us, and He's able to deliver us, but if not, folks, these are not words of, of doubt. I think some people would like to paint these as words of doubt. You know, you hear some people pray, God, you do this and you do that and, 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 and we command the devil to, do that, to be bound and we command this and that. Folks, that's, that's not how they pray. They said, but if not, we're not changing our minds. They're content whether God answers the prayer or doesn't answer the prayer. If God meets the need or doesn't meet the need, we're still content. If God comes through in the way that, that we hope he does, well, that's wonderful. If he doesn't come through and we burn up, that's fine too. We're just going to do what God wants us to do and leave the results in his hands. Not every Christian business doesn't go bankrupt. I wish I could tell you that they don't. I wish I could tell you that, not, not, that no Christian has ever had to, to lose their home. But I know some that have. I wish I could tell you that, that no Christian ever has any uh, bad statements from the doctors. I wish I could tell you that every person gets healed. I wish I could tell you that every person walks through this life with ease and comfort. But folks, that's not the way it is. And if we listen to this story and if we teach our children this story that God always delivers, we're, we're selling them a lie. God doesn't always deliver. You can go Hebrews chapter 11 and find that he said there were some not accepting deliverance. There are some that didn't get delivered. There were prophets that were sawn in half. There were those that were killed. There were those that were thrown into prison. That God never rescued like Paul and Silas. And the history books are full of people that have lost their lives taking a stand. And not every story ends like this one. But folks, we've got to get a hold of those three words. But if not, we're not changing our minds. You can play that music until the sky turns dark and, and the moon comes up. We're still not bowing. You can play that music for 16 hours or 16 days or 16 weeks or 16 years. We're not bowing. And you turn up that furnace seven times hot, hotter, that doesn't matter. You can put it up a thousand times hotter. It doesn't matter. We're not changing. And whether God saves us from that flame or whether he allows us to suffer, it doesn't matter. We're content with whatever the Lord chooses. Oh, that God would teach us contentment. It is by contentment that our faith is established. 
You cannot have faith without contentment. I just, I, I, it just amazes me as I begin to realize that. You can't have faith without contentment. Because the first time God doesn't act the way that you wanted him to act, your faith will go out the window. The first time the, that you get fired from your job, the first time you can't meet a bill, the first time that, that the crops don't come in, the first time that, that, that your children don't uh, behave the way that you want them to, the first time that you face any kind of tribulation in this world, you're going to leave your faith unless you get some contentment with whatever God wants. Whatever you want, Lord. I will be content. Oh, I think there's a lot of truth here that, that, we have, that we've neglected for a long time. Oh, that God would help us to be content with whatever state we find ourselves in. Whether you do or whether you don't, Lord, I'm going to follow you. No, if you will, I will. No, if someone else testifies, I will. No, not, no uh, uh, Lord, if the king will get off our backs, we will, you know, we will. None of that stuff. It's we will do what God wants us to do because we are men uh, that are, uh, have conviction. We, are, we won't compromise. We are, we are men that are confident in who you are and what you're able to do. And we are content with whatever you decide. Oh, that God would help us to be content. We'd be confident. Faith takes, faith takes being fed. And it's going to take some things. But if not, okay. But if not, I want you to know we're going to keep obeying. There's not going to be a compromise, O King. I don't know how you're going to stand in the fire. I don't know how you're going to face it if you don't have it's confidence in God and a conviction that you won't falter and a contentment with whatever God wants. I want to share with you the words of a song. You know, oftentimes when people write songs about this, You know, they're, they're songs of deliverance. They did not bow, they did not bend, they did not burn. It's great. Another song, it says they, uh, that God is able to deliver from the fire, and he is, and we talked about that. But I want to share with you, and I don't know that this, was, this song was inspired by this passage, but these are the words. They said, they say sometimes you win some, sometimes you lose some. And right now, right now I'm losing bad. 
or sit on the stage night after night remembering or reminding the broken it'll be all right. But right now, right now I just can't. I don't know how many times as pastor I've prayed that prayer. It's easy to sing when there's nothing to bring me down, but what will I say when I'm held to the flame like I am right now? They say it only takes a little faith to move a mountain. Well, good thing. A little faith is all I have right now. But God, when you choose to leave mountains unmovable, oh, give me the strength to be able to sing it is well with my soul. I know you're able and I know you can save through the fire with your mighty hand, but even if you don't, my hope is in you alone. I know the sorrow, I know the hurt would all go away if you just say the word, but even if you don't, my hope is in you alone. not if you do, Lord. It's whether you do or whether you don't. My hope is in you alone. But if not, I'm still going to cling to my faith, regardless of the fire. Let's stand together this morning.